Hi there, Diana here. The nib section is the work of volunteers who have a passion for pens and the fountain pen community. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support us, go and give us a rating on iTunes or share us on social media. It helps us to find new listeners. Thanks and enjoy the episode. I hope you're tuning in for your regular convergence of cursive creatives and certified collectors. If you are, you're in the right place. Welcome back, welcome back, scribes and scribblers, to the Nib section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Here we identify which fountain pens and related accoutrements we deem worthy of our disposable income. Then we spend it on those things. In this episode, we have a number of returning hosts as well as some of the most active and prolific members of FPO, that's Fountain Pens Oceania. It's a big table today, and I'd be introducing guests later as they drop in. But first up, I'd like to welcome back our producer-in-chief, the ever-present Diana Dye. How are you, Diana? Oh, how are you, Chuck? Nice to see you. I'm great. Uh, Next up, we have collector extraordinaire, as well as a very generous host, Sharon. How are you, Sharon? I'm good, thanks. Hi, Chuck. I say very generous because uh, she's donated her workspace for us to be recording in definitely out of our usual uh, living room situation uh, and hopefully the acoustics are working for us um, uh, i'm chucks montano uh, tinker taylor pilot sailor all right justice league what are we writing with today let's start with diana um so today i'm using my everyday carry i guess you call it it's um a pilot vanishing point but it's a special vanishing point because it's my raden minamo um it's got an f nib it's what i use the most even though it's not my favorite pen it's just very easy to carry around um it clicks as you can hear and it clicks very easily so it's the most work ready pen I too have a retractable nib pen. I've got my Montblanc Bohème Paso Doble Rouge today. I've recently become obsessed with these pocket pens and it's really bad. In the last probably two months, I went from zero Montblanc Bohèmes to three now. Uh, This one has an extra fine nib on it, has no click. However, it does write quite nicely and fits really, really well in my handbag. Great. Uh, I've got a Pro Gear Relo, and it's the um, black and uh, yellow version from the uh, Classic Pens 22nd anniversary uh, with a medium nib, and uh, it's pretty great. I'm happy with it. <laughs> Our feature topic today is... Uh, I'll, I'll let Diana take over this one. Okay, so we're going to be discussing a couple of very controversial topics related to fountain pen quality control and quality assurance. Um, So let's get straight into it. The first segment is one that I've titled rather hyperbolically, The Tragedy of Nakaya Success. Or maybe it's pronounced Nakaya. Anyway. Nakaya. Sharon confirms that it's Nakaya. So here to discuss this controversial topic with us, we have a special guest host and a friend of the podcast joining us, Brian Saputro. Brian's a man of many hobbies, including brewing, pottery, cooking, jewelry making, fountain pens, and last but not least, Urushi painting. The last is the reason that I've brought him on for this segment. How are you, Brian? Well, hello. I'm pretty excited, actually. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm actually pretty bored at the moment. I really need to... um find a new hobby to explore or your regular hobbies aren't doing it for you no no so last one was um jewelry making and currently um i've lost steam (laughs) so how long have you been experimenting with urushi what's your work mainly been on well as you've heard before i've been jumping hobbies quite a lot and um japanese slacker has been an on and off thing for me i think i've been playing with urushi since last year 
being bored at home as usual and very curious with what it is and how it's done. One thing I didn't know was the Matitis from Urushiol, which is present in Urushi. Same compound that makes poison ivy somewhat scary. If you get Urushi on your skin, be prepared for an episode of continuous scratching as I did. So is that the raw Urushi or does that come with lacquered pens as well? No. So the Urushiol is the compound that makes all of Japanese lacquer gleam and shine and everything is actually the most important compound in urushi but only active as a um, irritant when it's wet so once it's dry it's actually amazing and it's one of the most inert uh, material that you can use for lacquer but urushiroid when it's sorry when it's wet it's um it's an organic compound it is organic so urushiol came from a species or a genus of plant of toxicodendron so in the name it has toxic well okay i I mentioned this because in the in the last episode the one about inks joanne um the visiting chemist she was saying how organic does not mean non-toxic so we'd like to reiterate that um erushioid is organic but also highly toxic oh yes yes very much so Organic in chemistry's sense is not what most people think organic is. Organic just means that it's dissolvable in oil compounds or oily uh, materials. So that's what urushiol is. But it's also derived from a plant. Yes. Yeah. So urushiol, well, urushi comes from a sap of a tree called Toxicodendron verniculum. And try saying that five times fast. <laughs> oh, shut it. Yeah, so it comes from a sap and normally people would, you know how rubber is harvested, so it comes from a sap of a tree, so someone scored many um, lines on a tree and then collected the sap and then they oxidize it partially let it dry a bit so it becomes a bit more thick so makes it more playable in a sense like more controlled so when with the urushi that you use um, to practice your lacquer work how do you buy that is it like as flakes is it like a gummy sort of a substance what what sort of form does it come in no it comes like oil paint okay oil paint yeah oil paint in a um in a tube so it's like a toothpaste shape and you can just squeeze it out onto a palette and then start using it It, how is it like runny do you have to add a solvent to it before you start painting the pure urushi is somewhat runny but you don't need to add anything to it but you can you can add pigments and colorings and other things including mica powder or gold powder onto it to achieve certain effects. So if you don't add any pigments to it, what colour is the urushi? Whenever they say it's clear urushi, it's not actually clear, clear, transparent. It's actually dark brown, transparent. Yeah. Okay, um, so what have you been doing with this urushi that you've been buying and poisoning yourself with? Oh yes, you can see my scars over here. Well, no, not you listeners. I'd like to attest that Brian, for um, almost as long as I've known him, his forearms and parts of his leg have been covered with these rashes from his constant contact with um, Urushi. Yeah, from so that's n- not, when... not Urushi pens, but the raw, um, the toxic form of Urushi that he's been working with. Yeah, so that's when I was young and stupid last year. I no, didn't know what now. it does. Yeah, actually, yeah, no. <laughs> because he doesn't like wearing gloves when he's working with this toxic yeah, material. You can't really feel your work if you he's wear gloves. He's a real dedicated artist to oh, his yes, work. Yes, yes. <laughs> Pain is beauty. So what have you been doing yet with this Urushi? So I'm not that daring enough to start on pens. 
Well, actually, I did. Well, I happen to be the proud owner of an urushi piece of work that、uh, Brian has made for me. He turned my kakuno into a fabulous、uh, kuro tamenuri finished lacquer pen. It's gorgeous. It is no, a、I'm、budget. Sorry,、nakaya. that's that's <laughs> not my best efforts. I was too impatient and. No, it's but a, a very, very good first effort. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm perfectly willing to dedicate、um, to sacrifice more kakunos to your practice. <laughs> Please Get in do. Line. I have two. <laughs> <laughs> I have two on order. <laughs> Get in line. Well, going back to the question,、um, I've been working mainly on Japanese tea scoops. Some of you may know, some of you may not, but I've sourced half a dozen of tea scoops back in the days, and、um, I just started lacquering them one by one. And another. Item that I lacquered are chopsticks because back in the days the、um, actual use of urushi is not on pens because, well, you know that's not the most important thing back in the days in the year、uh, hundreds or thousands back in Japan. So chopsticks, teaware, tablewares, and everything else—that's the things that they use、um, urushi on. And you know,、um, urushi once it's dried, that it's not toxic, obviously, because they、yeah. use it on、yeah. on materials that you're going to be putting in your mouth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I have actually lacquered spatulas at home because, again, I was bored and out of items to lacquer. Yeah, and I use that spatula to fry things and stir fry, boil, whatever, and it's still in a pristine. Condition.、Yeah. So. Okay. So Brian,、um, you've been working with the Sarushi for like a year or so, a year or more. Yeah, somewhat.、Um, walk me through the process of、um, working with the Sarushi. What's the the working like when you're making something that's made with the Sarushi? What are the steps to achieving that final product? And also run me through maybe the main varieties of、um, Sarushi work that there is in Japanese Sarushi art. As most of you. May know urushi takes a lot of time to.、Uh, That's why it's so expensive, right? Yeah, one of the reasons why. On top of the actually、uh, pricey material, the urushi is actually pretty pricey. But yeah, each layer of urushi will take approximately one to two days to cure, and you can apply more urushi on top of it. But on the final stage of curing, it will take. Around one week to like fully cure cure before it can be used. And on most、um, like homewares, artifacts, objects, how many layers is standard? How many layers of urushi? On a normal one, if you see some items, wood items from、um, Japanese places, if it says it's clear lacquered, it's usually just one or two coats and very thin coat. Okay, that that's the ex- that's the cheap stuff. Yeah, well, not so much cheap, but essential stuff. Like not so much for beauty, but for function. Ah,、uh, okay. So one、yeah. or two layers is actually enough to coat your utensils and everything.、Mm-hmm. But if you、so、want to achieve the, something, the one and two layers, what what that does is、um, it gives you the properties of urushi, but not so much the aesthetic factors. So you don't get that depth of yeah.、Um, yeah. color and、yeah. you know that. Cooling effect. Looking、yeah. into it. So the beauty of urushi is that with clear urushi, the dark brown urushi,、uh, you can achieve a really, as Diana said, depth onto it. Like you can apply many layers, and then you can apply gold flakes or abalone shells or anything you can think of on. Onto it, and then layer it again, layer it again, so you can somewhat achieve a、um, a relief or somewhat. And what's the most number of layers that you've heard of、um, artists putting on an object, like when they're really looking to exceed themselves? Yeah, well, close to a hundred, somewhat there, because. 
when you see a, a lacquered pen, Japanese lacquered pen, you see a lot of patterns and everything and each different color has to be painted on different times and different layers. Yeah. So, so just the painting and letting it dry between layers, that, that would take like a year basically. Somewhat. Yeah. A year. Awesome. <laughs> yes. So when you're holding your Nakayas or pilot or sailor makiers or urushi, then yeah think of the effort that the artist has put into it yeah okay um so run me down just quickly what are the techniques involved um the types of lacquer work oh there are hundreds and a combination of those will achieve different techniques again so let me start with i think tell me if i'm wrong with the most famous one, which is maquillé. So maquillé, I think, um, all... so with maquillé, it literally translates to sprinkling. This involves sprinkling fine metal powder, mainly gold, or you can actually use silver or any other types of uh, metal on freshly painted urushi. And that, I think, gives one of the most luxurious feel because, well, you know, it has gold on it. It's definitely one of the most well-known and a lot of brands make them. Yeah. There are at least three famous types of maquillage. Yeah, so this, this goes into the um, another technique that you can apply with this maquillage style. So the first one, which is, I think, one of the easier ones is Hira maquillage, which is flat maquillage. And um, the second one is Taka maquillage, where the design is actually uh, very relieved. Like, it's it's very raised. Yeah, t- not, not to get too technical about it. So that's yeah. where they... They put layers in certain areas so that you can sort of become, you, you can feel the raised bumps yes. of the lacquer. Yes, yes, yes. So they use a charcoal powder for that to make that area raised and then you can apply gold on top of it. Yeah, I'm looking at one now and um, there's, you can create patterns that it's are a very in relief. nice texture. So it's one yeah. where if you run your hand across it, you can actually feel something there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very satisfying. It's very pleasing. I can rub that pen all day. Okay, so um, the last one that I'm going to mention here with Makie is Kaga Makie. It's somewhat famous as well. The thing that makes Kaga Makie different to the other Makies is that it uses gold flakes or gold foil instead of powder. So you can achieve different things with different types of Makie, depending so what the gold, artist wants. gold flake, um, like gold foil? that they've been cut into certain shapes and applied yeah, onto the, yeah. the So the it, it encompasses anything using gold okay. or metal foils yeah. that is not in a powder form. Uh, so um, maquillé is the sprinkling... Yeah, maquillé literally translates to just sprinkling. Yeah. And, well, yeah, you can sprinkle flakes and as well. uses flakes, flakes instead of powdered form. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And finally, um, you mentioned... Um, I, th- I see on the show notes you said you have Raden, which is one of my favorites. No, oh, yes. Um, types. Yes. <laughs> it's like a rainbow on your pen. I know. It's so beautiful. So many colors. Yeah. So um, I love um, Raden Makie pens that Nakaya makes because yeah. um, they use it in really creative ways to bring up interesting designs, um, like this Blue Rose by Raden um, portable that I have. And um, they use different colored areas of the yeah. Raden to, to produce different effects. So, for example, um, on this rose, like a green shell has been used on leaves and um, a blue and a pink colored yeah. shell has been used on the rose It itself. actually it's comes great. from the same shell. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So you just pick which colors you want and then you apply it 
onto your design. Okay. Um, two other forms of techniques you mentioned are tamanuri and chinkin. Um, yes. This is in the show notes, and I think those are terms that you see a lot when you go onto the Nakaya website. So could yeah. you just briefly explain what e- both of those mean? So yeah, these two are not as famous as makie. So tamanuri, it literally translates to pooling. So in a um, lacquering sense, this effect can be achieved by applying layers and layers of clear urushi or any types of urushi. So urushi is pretty viscous in a sense, so it's not really runny. So when you apply a slightly thicker coat of urushi, it's gonna pool like a droplet of water. And then if you have a lot of corners and sharp edges, then you get that effect. And I don't think you can actually see it here, but it's actually gorgeous. So the next one is chinkin. This is a peculiar one. It's relatively new compared to the ones I mentioned before. And this involves making incisions on cute urushi, applying makie um, technique onto the incision and uh, this technique gives depth and perspective depending on the artist's so, design. So um, if you haven't seen photos of chinkin, it's the ones that look like they have gouged, like, I don't know, like the sort of you imprint really that you feel have. It. Is, it, is it the dots? To be dots okay. So they'll chip away little dots and colour in the dots to make um, a sort of picture with very short strokes. Okay, um, but definitely look up the Nakaya website and you'll see some beautiful examples with chinkin. I think you have one, um, Sharon, which has like a little cat on it, which looks like it's been made with dots. I may do. <laughs> <laughs> Your collection is too big. Okay, um, so myself, as the owner of seven Nakayas, I like to think I know a little bit about this brand that features on so many grail pen lists. But my knowledge is poultry next to Sharon's. Um, she's been accumulating Nakayas for about a decade now, and she has first-hand experience of how their production and their output has changed over the years. Sharon, for listeners who haven't heard of Nakayas or who don't know a lot about them by reputation, um, would you be able to give us a little background of the company? Uh, yeah, sure thing. Diana. So Nakaya has actually been around for quite a long time as part of the Platinum Pen Company. It is still related to the Platinum Pen Company. It's a bit of an offshoot. So I think it was early 2000s. They decided to branch out and give some of their elder... Retired, semi-retired. Semi-retired um, workmen a, a something to do in their spare time. So back then, I think they branched out with about five or six people mm-hmm. and said, we're going to do something completely crazy crazy which is very pure to the Japanese aesthetic. We're going to make simple pens out of ebonite, we're going to lacquer them and try and bring to the public a sample of uh, Japanese lacquering techniques. And so back then I think the artisans themselves actually, the small group of five, six artisans themselves actually made every single pen. Probably about mid-2000s, I first got into Nakaya. I think it was about 2005 was when I ordered my first one. And back then, the ordering process, it's like getting a tattoo. You email in, you say, here's what I want. This is a concept that I have in my head. And you'll go back and forth over a course of probably about three, two, three months sometimes to refine uh, what it is that you're after. (laughs) And they'll send you back mock-ups, colour consultations. Um, They'll discuss with you techniques. You can ask them what's new in the workshop or what's something that your artisans would like to try but haven't had a chance yet. And then once you've decided on an actual uh, design, they would then make the pen. It will probably take about three to four months. Wow. That's quick. That is quick. quick. It is quite quick. quick. Um, 
So they it would take about three to four months to get something done up for you. A little bit longer if the techniques you're asking for are more complex. And then at the end of it, you get a very nice email from the lady who used to work there. She might still work there. She used to get a very nice email asking if you would like an office tour along with your pen. Um, <laughs> Only if you're in, in, in Japan. If you're in Tokyo, you could do an office tour to go pick up your pen. Wow. Say hi to all of the artisans. Is it still available now? <laughs> I haven't asked. I very much doubt it. Um, I'm not sure that they offer those tours anymore. Mm. So back then it was like going to a, a very much a custom uh, pen yeah. manufacturer. Haute couture. Haute couture, absolutely. It feels very personal. Yeah. It, it was a very personal Like experience. getting a wedding dress design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, kind can't, of. I can't speak from experience there, but well, yeah. might be something like that. <laughs> So I actually got my first Nakaya back then. Um, I no Which longer one is have that? it. Oh, I no longer no. have it, unfortunately. Oh. Um, it was a desk pen because I was obsessed with long pens. Ebonite, the Nakaya Ebonite pens are very light and their desk pen is probably one of the heavier ones in their uh, standard Ebonite range. Um, it was a desk pen in a Shobu Tamanuri finish. So it was, it was a purple with cleared slash light brown tamanuri on top which would fade to a to a brighter purple and it had a bamboo design which you actually have on one of your pens um, oh the two layered the two layered urushi uh, or that one yes oh the bamboo by silver powder it has the bamboo by silver powder and it was done in uh tamesukashi um, style, so it uh, had a bit of a glow underneath. Um, you can actually find that pen on the website. It is on the website. Um, I don't think they make it anymore, though. But that consultation process took a very, very long time. Yeah. Okay. And then I guess towards the latter half of the two thousands, um, Nakai really boomed into popularity, and I think there were a couple of articles which were shared on Fountain Pen Network that really contributed to that. Um, so there was one by. Ross Stutter, apologies if I butchered that name, he actually did the um, Nakaya office tour when he went to go pick up one of his pens and he wrote a blog post about it uh, back in mid, mid-2000s, mid I think it was. Yeah, when pen blogs were taking off. When pen blogs were just taking off. It got shared around Fountain Pen Network, the forums at the time, and everyone suddenly thought, oh my gosh, who would pay $600, $600 US dollars for something that is so simple? It's a one-color pen. There's nothing too fancy about it. Yeah, and I think it started getting its uh, grail status because some of the very pl- proliferant um, posters on Fountain Pen Network uh, started discussing this pen, uh, this pen brand. Then I think it was the early... Early 2010s, uh, classic fountain pen, so nibs.com, ended up getting their distribution rights in the US. And I think that's when it really took off because once the US market had an easy source to get Nakayas, it became became a much more talked about topic then. Okay, um, so my Nakayas are all from this post um, fountain pen uh, classics period. So what you consider to be post peak Nakaya. <laughs> production period. What do you think are the main areas where quality has maybe slipped a little bit? I think it's just, uh, it's a question of supply and demand. There's so much demand for these pens and simply not enough supply. If you think back to their starting origins where they had five artisans working for them, five artisans can't be uh, churning out the level of production that we're seeing 
with yeah. Nakaya these days. It has to be personal, it takes time, so you can't really rush it. Exactly, and as Brian said earlier in the show, if you're thinking about the urushi, the lacquering finish, each layer takes one to two days to even cure properly. So these pens do take a very long time. I think it, they started outsourcing their lacquering to... It's outsourced now. Okay. To an area in Wajima. So yeah. it's a, and I'm not a geography expert, but it's an area in uh, Japan that's very famous for their lacquerware. It's okay. northwest of Tokyo, by the shore. Yeah. But it's not. They, they, maybe they are they... very famous for their lacquer work. But mm -hmm. I think one of the best lacquer works come from Wajima. It's very detailed. But I suppose it depends on the artists themselves. So. Yeah. I mean, wherever you have a lot of people working in an industry, I guess there's always bound to be a few bad apples. Oh yeah, <laughs> I suppose. So I've I found in recent years that uh, the quality is a little bit hit and miss with Nakaya. Mm -hmm. I've had some great ones, and I've seen a couple of. Um, not so good ones. I've seen instances of where uh, Nakaya, the finish hasn't actually cured properly. So Where they rushed it. Where, where it seemed like that they rushed it. Um, so instead of layering on multiple layers of the dark brown urushi, um, they might do one layer of black and then yeah, coat it. I think it. I saw oh, okay. one of yours that has that yes. cheating method, I suppose. So mm -hmm. it looks, to me, it feels like that they're cutting corners a little mm -hmm. bit with their basic range and i think i've seen on some of yours um is it chinkin um or the ones where yeah. they have colored powders sprinkled into grooves that's where you see quite a lot of difference in the uniformity, detail I think. yeah the uniformity the, num the amount of detail yeah. between old nakayas and current ones yes yeah, so i have um as diana mentioned two pens which are the same design but uh, in different colours. And so one of them was done a very long time ago and I have another that I picked up earlier this year. And the quality of the two, although they're both still very good, the newer one just seemed a little bit more rushed in being put together. I mean, I think this is something that you can expect and unfortunately we're all contributors to this over-demand. <laughs> um, Guilty. Which, yeah, and I'm, I feel very sad actually for the artisans who probably consider this their life's work and really want to dedicate the necessary time to it but unfortunately because I think Japanese people they don't like to disappoint their customers so um, they cannot say no I they suppose. can't say That's no they can't yeah exactly it's very difficult for them so it's um it's catch-22 um, you can you can't disappoint them by saying no we they don't want to disappoint you by saying no we can't give you this pen but at the same time, it, I think it pains them um, to have to cut corners, I guess, to produce yeah. them much faster and maybe does. below their standards. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, I think, that prices the have gone up. The prices have gone up. Last, last year, the prices on base models went up 100 US dollars. <laughs> and that's a factor of about 20% price increase between one day and the next. But to be fair to Nakaya, um, they're still considered relatively inexpensive um, Urushi pens compared to brands like Genitrio and some of the very small producers. So compared to a custom Urushi pen that you would get from Sailor or from Pilot, they are a little bit cheaper. Well, it depends. You can see something on the mark of 30 grand in Nakaya's website, so <laughs> yeah, I that, suppose that, that's not, um, it I'm telling, So their basic range is yeah. within, is like 400, 600, 600, now it's 600 US. Yeah. And that, I think, is an entry-level Urushi pen yeah. for most yeah. people. Yeah. And right. I, I think that is cheap, considering all of the work that's gone into that. Yeah. So um, we're not saying don't buy Nakaya's, but maybe just... So I will, 
to, I guess, to sort of summarise a lot of the experiences that we've had as of late with Nakaya, the higher end pens, the quality is still there, but it's really in that base range where I feel like the personal touch is definitely missing a little bit yeah. more than usual. I have one of the base range in the mail right now, oh. so fingers crossed. Keep your eye out, yeah, yeah. and we'll be there too. Judge. Give it our stamp of approval or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, okay. This is the end of this segment because we're running very short on time. Thank you, Brian, for coming in and sharing your expertise. You've been fantastic and we definitely look forward to having you oh, on future episodes. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Next up, we are going to shine a spotlight on the QC woes of two other popular fountain pen makers, Visconti and Twisby. For this feature topic, we're bringing in two other guests onto the panel, who you may remember from our other episodes. The infamous Iron Grouch himself, Tavit Sinanian, and the ink monogamist Aiden O'Brien. Welcome back, Tavit and Aiden. Thank you. It's great to be back. Okay. Well, let's start off with uh, Visconti, the Italian luxury pen maker, and Twisby, the Taiwanese manufacturers of affordable, uh, user-friendly pens, uh, most of which are demonstrators. They occupy very different sectors of the market. However, they also have some things in common. Both are relative newcomers. Visconti was founded in 1988, Twisby in 2009. Uh, both are very popular modern brands, providing stiff competition to the older, more established brands like uh, Parker, uh, Lemmy, and Pelican. Another thing they have in common is that both Twisby and Visconti have been plagued to varying extents with reports of QC problems. There are some breakages, nibs with babies' bottoms that skip and hide start, faulty capping and filling mechanisms. Uh, but here on the nib section, we wanted to dig a bit deeper into this topic. Is the reputation for bad QC deserved or undeserved? Uh, Aiden, I know that Visconti's and Twisby make up a sizable share of your collection. You must be a fan. Why don't you start us off? Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, so I do have quite a few Viscontis. I actually have more Viscontis than I have Twisbys or any other one brand in my collection. And I'm going to start it with, I may be the statistical anomaly, but I have zero QC problems with either of them. All right. uh, I do know that the vast majority of Twisbys QC problems, the vast majority, they still have some, occurred in their 530 and 540 ranges, which were their earlier ones, and the early run of the 580s. 580s are much more consistent now. Their VACs occasionally have cap problems, but nowhere near as much as their reputation would give them. Uh, Visconti, like pretty much every pen brand, occasionally has baby's bottoms, unless you like really horribly feedbacky nibs that are common with platinum. Like Platinum has, especially in its extra fine uh, nibs, has a lot of feedback that I can't stand. Like I, It feels like nails on a chalkboard to me. I, I was going to say that I've never had an issue with platinum out of the box, but yeah. I definitely, they're characteristic for feedback. Yeah, yeah the well feed, like, they don't have baby's bottoms, but they have a, feed, have a lot of feedback instead because yeah. the baby's bottom comes from over-polishing. I have a double broad in my pocket right now, and it is Visconti double broad, and it is absolutely phenomenal. Both of my double broads no baby's bottoms my mediums no baby's bottoms my stub at the angle i write at doesn't have one if you tilt it down to a much more shallow angle it will have hard starts which is just the characteristic of how it gets polished but aiden can you understand why some people might have take issue with certain visconti nibs i mean do you think that reputation is deserved I suspect that the reputation has a lot more to do with where you buy it from. If you buy it cheap on eBay, you're not getting the nib service that a reputable dealer will, will 
give you? So essentially, a Visconti may not work straight out of the box like a Platinum will, but when it does work, it is quite a joy to use. Considering that I know that a lot of stores do that nib for all brands, that nib work for all brands, the out of the box isn't, because a lot of them come from, they have a third party nib supplier. I'm 99% sure that Visconti's is Bock. So, and their polishing is done. Yeah. And their their palladium ones are also Bock. In fact, even their steel ones are Bock. It's all all done uh, by Bock. Yeah. So, and all the brands that come from Jovo and Bock tend to have on their larger nib sizes because you don't hear about hard starting and over polishing on the extra fine Visconti's. Okay. But what you're saying is that it varies quite a lot depending on the service that you get from retailers. Yeah. But my issue is that I think that a pen maker should be responsible for their own nibs and not have to rely on retailers to provide that quality of service. It it should be, but unfortunately, very few brands at all do that. So characterizing Visconti as a, a brand that has this issue isn't, is what I'm trying to defend against because I know that other brands, including Mont Blanc, help my Pelican. My first Pelican was the one that had had more nib troubles than any Visconti I've ever had, which I got from a dealer. But it's not even just the nib troubles that you hear about with Visconti. You hear they brought out the Brunelleschi and it cracked straight out of the box. They brought out their, well, I have one of their divine proportions where the cap won't uncap. Their hook safe latch system, it just refuses to uncap and Visconti refused to fix it. Was it Visconti or the Visconti distributor in Australia? Visconti. Visconti, Italy? So, it, well, I mean, I've, I've heard this story quite a few times from Sharon because it's, it's been it's causing her... Spot. It's a sore spot. It's been causing her um, headache and considerable um, yeah. anger for like the last year or so because she's been dealing with the dealer and also Visconti directly multiple occasions because she's been sending it back and getting it back and just no resol- resolution. I think if Visconti were having these problems and they were aware that they were having problems, if they were as, uh, if they were as, as responsive as Twisby are with dealing with the problems, I think they wouldn't have generated so much ill will, which is what I have towards Visconti now. Um, I only have, actually I don't have any a single Visconti now, um, whereas I used to have three or four. Um, but the combination of the nib issues and just the unreliability of them, it, it makes me so angry. I, I refuse to support them anymore. Now, I, just uh, just to jump in, on the flip side, I have very little um, experience with either Visconti or Twisby. I only have a single Visconti, which is kind of like the entry-level range. Steel nib, the Van Gogh, which I've bought for my girlfriend. And while the nib is like a broad baby's bottomed and I, I posit that because it's an entry-level pen there's maybe less care um given to that nib i have had no no body issues like all of the body issues have been great and from what i've seen if particularly from the people who sort of get the homo sapiens range if you get a good one you become a fanatic there are a lot of homo sapiens owners in fountain pens oceania a lot of the uh group photos tend to be collections of homo sapiens. I think I think what Visconti is doing in the innovation part and in their designs is absolutely fantastic. I used to own about 20, 20 something Viscontis. I now own one and a half, and I say a half because 
my divine proportions is in three pieces. But um, I think some of the innovation that they're doing is absolutely fantastic if only they could maintain a level of consistency with them. Mm, I do know that they have been growing fairly substantially and they did recently replace their CEO and there has been certain changes and I suspect that there will be more improvements, especially in their body care. Because I've heard, apart from your particular experience, that Visconti Italy, the main Visconti after sales care team, is actually brilliant from every report I've had apart from yours. So I don't know why that's happened to you and it's really a shame. So what's the process of getting directly in contact with Visconti Aftercare? I um, mean, without bypassing the dealer, really? Can you do that? Well, you can. I do know that they have a, uh email address that I can't remember off the top of my head. I can put it in the show notes. Yeah, okay. And you contact them and say, I'm having a problem with my dealer or whatever. And that is how it goes. I fortunately haven't had to deal with it directly at all. Yeah, but you stick. Like, you're, you're loyal to your one um, dealer. Of yes, I. As I've he, said this before, he's very careful to keep you sweet. Um, yes, <laughs> because I grabbed a limited edition Corsani ninety, and the sales service and whatnot from him was enough to keep me coming back. He checks all these nibs. He he does not want to have any problems with a pen coming overseas, especially from Italy. So he checks them incredibly well and make sure that everyone's happy with the pen that they get. I'm, I'm interested with what you're saying about this new CEO, because that could definitely impact things. For for example, non-pen related Gibson uh, bass guitars have languished in the past few years because the new CEO loves guitars, hates bass guitars, and the quality has dropped off on like half of the... The range has gone from like 12 to 3 models. What I've um, read, which is admittedly very little about the change of CEOs, is that... Um, I think the company was unhappy and basically threw him out because um, he was he had very radical notions about um, limited editions and like he maybe he was a bit too innovative um, and into very um, experimental experimental in design and also in the type of artwork. I mean, have you seen some of the very unusual? Oh, I believe models? they had a, uh, a Kama Sutra model at some point. Yeah, as well. I think I think he yeah. was a big champion. Yeah, the yeah yes, the erotic Dante arts. Del Vecchio was definitely the it's very art direction. Yes, um, I, think, I think those brand those models probably lost them. Yeah, money. like I I'll be very honest. I like a very small subset of the ranges. I pretty much exclusively own Homo sapiens, Homo sapien variants, and the new uh, octagonal eight-sided Brunelleschi in the celluloid. Which the, the very is, classic sort of yeah, styles. Um, you've probably seen it around if you're on FPO. Uh, it's Corsani Limited. So, again, it gets checked in incredibly. So Tav, so you've done quite a lot of uh, nib work previously. How have, what's your experience been like with Twisby and Visconti QC? Okay, so I, I would like to preface this with a little explanation of what a baby's bottom is because you've probably got a couple of uh, people over there, um, you know, out there listening and going, hang on, what, what do you mean by a baby's bottom? What do babies have to do with fountain pens? And it's a colloquialism. Essentially, a baby's bottom is a, a shape of nib tipping where you end up with a gap between where the ink is and the paper. So it, if you look at it through a magnifying glass, it kind of looks like it's a overly... Valley. Yeah, it looks like a valley in the centre of the nib or like a, somebody's bottom, essentially. And what that's caused by 
is an over-polishing of the nib. So somebody's smoothed the nib too much and they've rounded the inside of the tines, the inside of the slit, too much so that the ink can't actually make physical contact with the paper and capillary action can't take place. So you'll end up with hard starting. And now this means the nib's really lovely and smooth because there's no sharp edges. It's very, very rounded. And I think that's probably why how, how Visconti tends to operate in that most people don't mind that. They don't, uh, most of the casual fountain pen using community, I'm not talking about the aficionados who'd be listening to this podcast, but you know, the person who'd come in go, um, I want one of those pens, you know, with the ink in the bottle. Tav has Those worked, of, yeah, um, has I've, worked I've, in retail, I've worked pen in retail, retail. So, 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 he's so, met so people customers. who come in and they look for a, a fountain pen, they don't really know how a really, really great fountain pen should work. If they get a pen with a baby's bottom, they might not even notice, or they might hold it high as Aiden does, and which the Visconti nibs are, they tend to be tuned for people who hold their pens quite high up at, in at a, a high very angle. traditional yeah, at a, very, at a very steep angle. Uh, for those of us like myself who uh, hold them at a lower angle than Aiden does, uh, this can be a problem. But again, the people who don't, who who are casual fountain pen users, might not even see it as a problem. You know, they might just scribble for a little bit and then continue writing. So yes, I have seen this problem a lot in Visconti, and I think, uh, as Aiden said, it does lie with the nib manufacturer. Bock does tend to produce a lot of nibs with baby's bottoms and um, Visconti is one example but another one that's probably even more significant is Coeco. Their, their nibs, if you Isn't get a nib that's it's a German brand with yeah. a W so tends to have like Nakaya. Coeco tends to have a lot of baby's bottoms in any nib that's larger than a medium. Um, I've even overheard people selling pens going, uh, probably don't get this nib size because it'll probably have a baby's bottom. I'll say that um, about Pelicans too. Yeah, and, and, and Pelican as well. But I think but Pelican's nibs are made in-house, not by Bok. So, yeah, I have seen this a lot. And I've, I, I will say I've even seen it with uh, Twisby's as well because Twisby's nibs are German-made as well by Yovo. Um, so, yeah, I've seen it. It is repairable. It's annoying, but you can get around it. You can repair it. You can swap it. All of that. So, one, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, one, one thing that I've encountered also with Visconti is sometimes their body materials can be a little haphazard. I happen to own a beautiful uh, Wall Street by them in, in a beautiful red color. And uh, it seems like the celluloid was not cured quite fast enough because it shrank and I can't remove the nib from the section. That being said... You can't remove the nibs from the section. Uh, yeah, the nib's Does supposed to, to screw removed, out. Like yeah, it's supposed to screw out. And even with the appropriate tools, the nib won't come out of the section. Maybe that's what happened to yours, Sharon. And I, I think that the, the celluloid shrank. The divine proportions is also celluloid. Mine had a loose inner cap that then just refused to uncap. Okay. So, um, I don't know. My, my issue with um, Twisby and Visconti both, I've had four Twisbys over the course of um, the last two years and about four or five Viscontis. And now I'm down to zero Viscontis and zero Twisbys, actually. Um just my constant frustration with these pens and not knowing when and how to expect them to break is so anxiety inducing for me. Um, I, I refuse to deal with them anymore. And <laughs> I think I'll give them some allowances because they're new brands and they're, they're trying to expand quite quickly. Um, and they've definitely made a name for themselves. They, they have their devotees and I, they probably don't need my money, to be honest. But um, I refuse to go out there and shill for them because I, I don't think they're very good for people who aren't willing to put some effort into 
um, adjusting the pens to working with their retailers to ensure that they have a good quality um, writing instrument. And it's someone, it, it's not a pen I'd recommend to anyone. Of, of course, I can understand it's extremely, um, extremely frustrating to have a brand with what you perceive to be uh, a lot of QC issues. And of course, you're going to have varying experiences. You're going to have people like Aiden who've had almost invariably positive experiences and you've got people like... But Aiden like, works to get his positive experiences. Of course, he puts of in the work I, and I his dealer puts in yeah. the work. I just ask for a pen. I don't put in any work. Yeah, but you, you, you focus on one retailer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that, he that has to me the is full work. range. Look, so <laughs> and he's got cheaper this is, prices this is a particular, most places. This is a particular business model that I've noticed in a lot of pen manufacturers. Not all. There are plenty of like Mont Blanc, Pelican, all of that. They, they tend to have quite good QC. Pelican has the odd baby's bottom. But Mont Blanc is reliable. Yeah, Mont Blanc. Um, that's why they're so good Pilot, at gifts. Sailor. A lot of them um, have very consistent QC, sure. And that's how they get by. But there's also... They're Twisby also century-old p- yeah, companies. Yeah, yeah. Like, of course. Mont Blanc is not centuries old. Century. It is a century It old. is a is century it? old. Yes, They've yes. been rebranded and like re-owned. No, no, no. Haven't they? No. Okay. Where in 2017, they were like Pelicans in 1800s and Mont Blanc's early 1900s at least. You, you, of course. you Look, you can put it down to uh, a company being new, but I've seen this business model before. And a lot of the time is... Uh, it's a business model that relies on replacing broken stuff rather than preventing it. So obviously it's easy enough for Visconti and Twisby, especially Twisby because it's very cheap. Yes. Um, I, don't know, just, I don't know anyone who's had their that. Visconti replaced by they can Visconti. Just, look, with, with, with Visconti, I think they they tap into the collector's market in such a way that a lot of people who buy Viscontis have them as an object of beauty and they don't always expect them to write perfectly. And, and I know this sound that sounds very strange to a lot of us who regularly use our fountain pens, but in my experience as a retail worker, a lot of the time people who buy very expensive Viscontis buy them as a, a collection piece, not as something they can take to work and use every day. Now, I buy them as something I can take to work every day. I've got I've got two, two or three Viscontis at the moment and I've got one more on the way, the Corsani Octagonal, but I, I do demand... Uh, good performance out of my pens and if there is a, ever a problem I, I kind of raise a bit of hell for the retailers but I'm not that, that's just me so I, as I said I can understand the frustration of a lot of people with Twisby with uh, with Visconti I think one of the reasons why Visconti has such a polarized reputation is because of the long turnaround times as well also because they're so expensive yeah they're expensive and, and this this same con- um, controversy occurred with Omas as well and to a lesser extent uh, with Aurora as well. And I think these it's because they're very small manufacturers, like, as in the, the factories themselves are very small. They use very niche materials. So again, it's the same with Omas, the same with Aurora, the same with Visconti. Omas and Aurora used uh, a lot of celluloid and ebonite feeds, very small manufacturers with very small factories with only a few staff. So the turnaround times for the repairs tend to be quite long and you get a lot of people with very, very negative experiences you can't exactly furnish all of your suppliers with spare parts yeah exactly exactly but i will also say this it's it's there's a there is there is always going to be a bit of confirmation bias because we're all human we notice negative things first and Um, the people with negative experiences is going to be a lot more vocal than positive experiences and i'm going to also interject because i own one of your former viscontis and it's flawless um you actually own two of my former Viscontis. You've got my Davina, I think, or no, Chrissy no. does. Chrissy got hers. Oh, okay. Um, no, I, I saw that on eBay. Because that's the Typhoon, not Typhoon, 
I was playing too much Prey. You, you were lucky. Um, you got the typhoon. one Visconti with no issues with it because it's got um, a chromium tubular nib. Yeah, it's got the chrom- I got that because I just wanted completeness. Um, it writes very well. I, I'm going to interject well. here and I'm going to say that is a, the, the chromium yeah, nib... Yeah, I, I know. It's very brandy. Is, it is probably one of the best examples of marketing. clever branding that I have ever seen in the fountain pen world. It is amazing. Chromium steel is stainless steel. When they talk about a, a chromium nib, it's not pure chromium. Chromium is far too reactive to be put into a fountain pen nib. Stainless steel often contains chromium. So it's, it's basically just a steel component. nib. It's, yeah. it's a brilliant piece of marketing. I'm not going to say the nibs aren't good. The nibs are great. They're really lovely. Oh, yeah. They're smooth. In fact, one of the great things about that particular nib is it's got an upturned tip, which makes it super smooth. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say that that's an amazing piece of marketing. So buyer beware if, you, if you're going to be um, attracted to those nibs. Just remember that you are buying a steel nib. You're not, it, you're, it's probably not worth what you're paying for it. Is what you're well, saying. not necessarily. Look, look, there's, there's plenty of pens with very, very nice steel nibs. Um, and and there, are pl- there are people out there that would say that gold is not necessarily better than steel. But if you are a person who likes to have nibs that are made out of a precious material like palladium or gold then just know that you're buying a steel nib pen. Yeah, like, I knew full well when I was buying it that it was a steel nib pen. It also, that tubular design, which is one of the reasons, is why I bought it. It's fun to write with. It's fun to write with, but it's also really good for people who have very heavy hands or need to use copy paper, because you can press down to get through like you would with a ballpoint, so you can use it on all those things with carbon copies. It's an inlaid nib, basically, isn't it? No, no, it's it's not an inlaid. It, mm, not oh, no. no. Okay, it it's, doesn't. Yeah, um, but essentially, I got it because a I wanted the tubular design, and b if I ever need to use something with carbon copy paper, I can use that rather than springing the tines on one of my other pens or stooping to use a ballpoint. Ill. <laughs> okay, so in summary, um, we've gone through three brands now with um, some controversy, Visconti and Twisby more so than Nakaya. Um, I think my conclusions are that um, Nakaya is definitely undergoing some growing pains, um, which don't look likely to be resolved. I mean, you're not going to get more artisans from Platinum working under that company. They're not something you can grow in pots, unfortunately. Um, no amount of money can increase that um, supply, really. And we can send Brian over to them. Yeah, Brian. <laughs> I grow in a pot. He says, he's just saying he grows in a pot. So Yeah, so um, if you're looking to get an entry-level Nakaya, maybe get it directly from Nakaya. I think that's one way you can try to get um, better service buy it in person just buy your nakaya in person that way you can actually see the quality of the pen yeah so with nakaya try to go to japan and buy them in person that's probably the safest i'll keep you posted (laughs) and with twisbees and visconti twisbee is quite responsive um to feedback and to repair parts that they're very good with supplying you with um additional parts if something breaks or with replacing pens people are more forgiving at the price point exactly so you're not blurging you know 700 dollars or upward of a grand on a pen and then having to wait six months seven months to get it repaired twisby we'll let that go but with visconti it's probably the most um polarizing and my my advice with visconti personally is to do a lot of homework um do your research try find, them out try, try them it out, out. Come, come to a meet and try them out i mean if you're in <laughs> if sydney you 
Aiden's got about 5,000 Homo sapiens. If but you they're want all good ones. It's <laughs> Maybe go through Aiden's supplier as well. Yeah. 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 Like, again, just even... I also buy my non-Viscontis through Corsani as well. So I buy my... Steelgraph Corsani. Steelgraph Corsani. I, every time I'm on here, I throw a shout out to him because his service is just amazing. Unless it's something that's vintage, out of stock, and I have to troll through about two years worth of eBay listings and go into foreign languages to hunt down something like my Pelican Chuanwu that you heard me talking about in a previous episode, I go through Stefano because service, his price is competitive, if not the best, but for the service you get peace of mind really. and the peace of mind like i'm buying a pen that i want to be able to use in 20 years and my i've got a homo sapiens in my jeans pocket that people say that's a horrible way to carry your pens it's been in there for six months and it has worked perfectly that's I... that's your shipping insurance cost basically yeah yeah see i get i get unreasonably angry at people um, well at brands who offer pens that don't write out of the box because i think especially if you're giving pens away as gifts expensive pens what you're doing is you're sabotaging any any future customers really you're giving them this terrible experience out of the box and you're making them doubt their ability to use a fountain pen i i don't want to get too much into it but tav said something before about the preferred writing angle of companies and that's definitely true pilot for example prefers a much lower you know a much a much shallower writing angle and sailors the same as well actually yeah it could also come from their traditional handwriting styles because i i'm not a handwriting expert but i do know that when i was correcting my own handwriting to learn cursive properly last year i went through a whole bunch of manuals and all the demonstrations from period manuals for european cursive had a very steep angle or or just 45 the bloke who works at at uh, bock writes like Aiden and he tunes the nibs like well, Aiden. Well, he so. obviously writes correctly, so that's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Fine. There's just there's just an Aiden working at Bach who tunes the nibs like that. So Can't fault him. I, I'd like Must to I'd guy. like to um I'd like to offer my opinion on Visconti as well. Um I like the brand, I like their pens. I do acknowledge that there are QC issues there and I think Partly that can be ascribed to them being a relatively new company. And also, I think we can put it down to a lot of the people who buy Visconti are not hardcore fountain pen users like a lot of people in FPO. Most of Visconti, most of their business comes from gifts. So people uh, who come in to buy an ink pen, you know, the, the old-fashioned ones. Do they still I, make I those? I love your casual fountain pen user voice. <laughs> Norm, well, <laughs> it comes from It's a vicious experience. cycle, isn't it? I mean, yeah. if you give a pen so, that doesn't work properly to someone who is the, not a fountain pen user, that person is not going to become a fountain m- pen most, user. Most, yep. And you know what? Yep, that's true. But that's, that's their business model. And a lot of the time when people buy these fountain pens for someone, they'll, they'll use it once or twice and it'll go back in the box and it'll be a nice display piece. Um, and that's, that's, I think, the market that Visconti has, I think, inadvertently captured. And yet, when they work, they work beautifully, absolutely beautifully. They do have problems, uh, not all of them right out of the box. And unfortunately, I, I think that that's, that's just how they've, they've gotten by. And, and with the new CEO, maybe they're going to move in a new direction. We can I, only I, hope. I'm, uh, we can I'm only hoping hope. that they'll be able to... Uh, get a better contract with Bob. It, it is what it is. There is a minimum purchase. Great stuff. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap up that section. Uh, 
I wish you guys could have seen some of the looks that our hosts were throwing at each other. But uh, let's wrap it up with some recommendations. Oh, and also, um, as always, if you have thoughts you'd like to share on this particular topic, um, if you have any bad experiences with Nakaya, Twisbees or Viscontiers, just write to us at thenipsection at gmail.com. All right. Well, let's let's round out the episode with some recommendations. Let's start off with Sharon. You have a recommendation, not necessarily pen and paper related. Planet Earth 2. It is absolutely fantastic. I have been so engrossed in the in the lives of these little penguins, which are in the second episode. I watch it over and over again, and Diana sent me a link to about 40 hours worth of new footage on YouTube. Planet Earth 2, cannot recommend it enough. How do we go this far without mentioning Attenborough? Oh, his voice is so soothing. Diana. But at the same time, um, okay, on the same line of of recommendations wild alaska which is another wildlife documentary um has also become available i think on netflix and it's not narrated by david attenborough it's um, narrated by a scottish actor called dugo scott and he has um this very different quality of narration to david attenborough it's actually very humorous listening to this thick scottish accent um, talking about um polar bears and otters and just beautiful wildlife so watch those two in succession. Great so two documentaries so far. Aiden, any recommendations? Uh, not a documentary. I've been getting back into The Expanse because uh, season two just released on Netflix. Now, I know this one's divisive. Season one, the first half, is pretty terrible and it's mainly from a plot point because it just points all over the place. But push through until the end of the episode with the first big space battle and that's when it gets good. I love oh. The Expanse. Yeah, I've I love The books, Expanse. And the, I love it. The first scene the from season two was awesome and everything I've ever wanted in like a sci-fi heavy infantry that was ruined by starship troopers and all those. That it's first... Good. It's about Battlestar Star Galactica. It is nothing compared to that first scene of episode one, season two. And that's just the training run and it's amazing. And I, yeah. I love The Expanse and I love my sci-fi. So, yeah, it's got the, the Punisher. Let's let's uh, go over to Tavit. You you have a recommendation? I do. This is uh, another show. Um, I don't know if it's been recommended before, but uh, I'd recommend that people watch Black Sails. It is a phenomenal. I've already wrecked it. You, oh, how <laughs> dare you? Okay, fine. Um, but hmm. you're enjoying it. Yes, I'm loving. It. Okay, here's another show. Maybe because I wrecked it to you. No, no, no. I've, I've been watching it for <laughs> quite great. a while, but I'm getting back into it. Um, okay, another show is... It's already finished, actually. It's called Penny Dreadful. And that's a fantastic show with Eva Green and... Um, oh, what's his name? I've forgotten his name. He's a, he's a famous Bond actor as well. Uh, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton, yes. And uh, Eva Green is an absolute star. It's a fantastic show. It's a, She's much a, better than the show is... Than the show itself, to be honest. I yeah, think. well, she, she really does steal the show. It's, it's fantastic. Um... It is far-fetched, of course. It's a kind of a Victorian London fantasy horror thing. It's, it, but it's really good. If you like Eva Green, watch it. Great stuff. All right. Uh, on the note of jewellery with uh, Brian, I'm going to recommend a friend of mine in Sydney who is a jeweller, does a lot of custom pieces if you're after that sort of thing. His name is Mr. Louie, uh, com, and uh, he makes some great rings, usually, and uh, some necklaces. I'll, I'll put a couple of photos in for the show notes. Um, all right. Well, uh Thank you, Sharon, for uh, giving us this space today. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Diana, for joining us uh, in person again. My pleasure. Uh, thank you, Aiden, for joining us in person again. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you, Tav, for joining us once again. Anytime. 
Brian, thanks for showing up today. Pleasure. Great stuff. Uh, my name is Chucks, and uh, that's been the Nib section today. Until next time, listeners, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at the Nib section and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts on something that was discussed? Do you have suggestions for future topics or just want to let us know how we're going? Well, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us uh, on the Nib section Facebook page or at the Nib section on Twitter. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Zai, Chucks Montano, Sharon Zah, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thank you for listening. <laughs>